Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Who's excited to be part of the End Time Revival? Y'all excited to get this place ready for Jesus to return? I know I am. Well, welcome to No Limits Church. Today we're continuing our series called Jesus Ain't Woke. But before we get into that, go ahead and turn to somebody next to you and say, you made a good choice being here today. If you're joining us online, I want to say hey to you too. Thanks for being with us. It's great to hear the word of God over the internet. But if you ever have a chance to be with us here in person, come join us. We'd love to have you. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. Anybody down for that? Well, in this series, my goal is to help you know God by exposing fake Christianity. This misled group of people call themselves woke because they've figured out or they've discovered that the Bible is out of touch with modern Christianity. Hmm. Yet, can you even call it Christianity if the Bible isn't the ultimate guidebook? The reality is you're only a Christian if you believe in and follow Jesus Christ. And the Bible refers to Jesus as the word of God. So you really can't say that you're following Jesus if you're not following the Bible. Well, Christianity, it's not Christianity at all. It's actually a fake version of Christianity that either denies or misuses the word of God in favor of making sure that nobody gets their feelings hurt. I'll give them this though. They're clever. They say a lot of things that sound really good and that seem right but almost all of them lead to destruction, but not on my watch because I'm exposing wokeness for the evil that it is. I don't want people to go to hell because nobody stood up against the woke false prophets. So that's why I'm taking a stand. I'm here to help you follow Jesus so we can spend eternity together in heaven and take a lot of people with us. Amen. In the first week of this series, I explained how how Satan is after our kids. We were made in God's image. Satan hates God. Therefore, he hates us. Anybody found that to be true? Yet God gave us this amazing ability to multiply. Beth and I are taking that to heart, welcoming our fifth kid in six years. Told you guys that last week, but he works to, he's, Satan's doing whatever he can to stop the multiplication, right? He's got to stop it. He works to create a culture where kids are a nuisance, so nobody wants to have them. Anybody notice that? Um, He spreads the lie that abortion is a woman's right. Anybody heard that? And the one he's most proud of, Satan is a pro at promoting homosexuality, so reproduction is impossible. I hope you're able to see what's going on. Almost all the challenges that we're up against today all lead to one thing, the destruction of children. Satan's working hard to kill, steal, and destroy with normalized sin, so we as the body of Christ have to work hard to expose the dangers of sin, so it leads people to salvation and freedom. And that's what we talked about in week two. Jesus didn't just forgive you of your sin. What else did he give you? Freedom, right? Freedom from sin. He came to take your sin away. You see, if nobody tells you that Jesus came to take away your sin, you'll believe the lie that all you have to do is say a little prayer on Sunday morning and nothing else has to happen. We might as well just slap Jesus in the face if we're going to weaken salvation to a point where all we have to do is say a prayer on Sunday morning and then nothing else changes. When you truly receive salvation by believing in Jesus Christ, the power of God changes your life. 
It changes your life. Immediately, you're forgiven of everything you've done wrong. Man, that is good. That is powerful. And that is the good news. But not only that, but Jesus reaches into your life and he takes the sin away. He takes it away. You don't even like it anymore. You don't even want it anymore. It's like Jesus made you a new person. And he did, right? It's not that you'll never sin again, as we can all attest to in this room. But you no longer keep on sinning. Instead, you live a life of repentance. And we talked about this in youth group this last week. What is repentance? It simply means to turn. You were going after sin. Your sin got revealed. And so you turn and go towards God, right? It's that simple. That's the life that we live. Because since we believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus. And he leads us down this glorious path to complete freedom from sin. We must understand that the church cannot tolerate sin. If we do, the power of God cannot be made manifest in our lives. And without the power of God, what do we have? You know, a comfortable, woke church might draw a large crowd, but without the power of God, is it doing them a whole lot of good? I mean, can we lead people to salvation without the power of God present? Can we heal people without the power of God present? Can we operate in spiritual gifts without the power of God present? So for the sake of everybody out there that's headed to hell because they've yet to receive salvation, just stop tolerating sin in your life. Let Jesus take it away so you can operate in the power of God. Listen to me. You need to hear this. Sin is your enemy. Don't feel bad for having it around, but change your perspective on it. Sin is your enemy. Pull the trigger and kill that sucker. Kill it. Get rid of it. And you kill it by releasing, releasing your faith that Jesus came to take it away from you. Because he's ready. He's ready to take it away from you. You just have to let him. He can't take away anything from you that you keep holding on to. Life is better without sin. It's funny that I even have to say that. But it's true. Life is better without sin. Because when you let go of sin, you find yourself living in the promises of God. This is what I like to call God privilege. You got freedom. You didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you anyway. That is awesome. And we talked about this last week by comparing the woke counterfeit of white privilege (laughs) to God privilege. You see, God privilege is available to me. It's available to you. And the reason that many Christians do not live in the promises of God is because they're too busy griping about how life isn't fair. So I'm going to tell you what my mama told me many, 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 many times growing up. Son, life isn't fair. Just let that soak in. It's not. The reality is there will always be somebody who has dealt a better hand in life than you. They have more resources. They're more talented. They're better looking. (laughs) They have better connections. But the only person you're responsible for is you. Is you. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask you how somebody else used their resources, even though you think that he is, right? We all like to judge how other people are using their resources, but he's going to ask you how you used yours. And God's not impressed with those who have the most, right? He's impressed with those who do what? Multiply what they already have. So you have a choice. You can keep griping about how life isn't fair, how so-and-so has a nicer car than you, and how big their house is, and how expensive their watch is, and all that kind of stuff. But if you choose this kind of life, you forfeit God privilege. You forfeit. But if you get your eyes off of what everybody else is doing, and instead focus on multiplying what you have— God privilege is going to show up and it's going to take over your life. That's how it works. We're going to dive into this in detail in just a few weeks. But today I want to give you the antidote to the woke church. The woke antidote. (laughs) 
For more than a year now, I've been talking about things that most pastors are unwilling to talk about. And since you've made it this far with me, I'm going to assume that you're not part of the woke church. <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that. Maybe you never were, or you once were woke, and God used me to shake you awake, and you survived the shaking. Either way, allow me to officially welcome you to the remnant. Welcome. We're here. We may be outnumbered, but don't let that scare you, because God's a pro at using a small group of people to accomplish great things. Amen? But he does need our cooperation. We can't just sit back and think that God's going to do this on his own or that Cade's going to do this on his own. It takes all of us working together to make this happen. To accomplish things on this earth, God works through people. That's how he designed it. Could he do it by himself? Oh, yeah, he could show up and wipe us all out right now if he wanted to. But that's not how he decided to do it. He decided to work through us. And that's why Jesus, in his last message to the disciples, said this in John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. It's funny that he has to say, I tell you the truth. You know, he's got to start with that, right? Probably because it's going to sound like not the truth, right? (laughs) I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So Jesus said this right after he had explained for the umpteenth time that like, hey, y'all, God and me are one. God and Jesus are one. The, The miracles Jesus worked, yeah, that was God working through him. The truth Jesus spoke, yeah, that was God giving him that truth. And he wants you to understand this because it reveals that you can do what he did. And not only that, but now you can do greater things than he did. Why? Because it's God working through you, just like it was God working through Jesus. It wasn't because Jesus was superhuman. We like to think that Jesus was, he was special, but it's, he didn't do those things because he was superhuman. He did those things because he fully submitted himself to the father. It was God's power working through Jesus, just like it can be God's power working through you, but you have to give God full control for that to happen. You can't do this in your own power, just like Jesus didn't do this in his own power. He worked miracles and spoke mind boggling truth because he submitted himself to God. And Jesus wants you to submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. And that's why the very next thing Jesus says is, you can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it. So that the Son of Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes. Ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. So Jesus just invited us to work the same miracles he did. And then he took it a step further and invited us to work greater miracles than he did. And now he's telling us we can ask anything and he'll do it. It seems impossible. And Jesus knew we would think that. So he goes on to explain how it's possible. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you believe in me, follow me and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may be, may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. And for clarity, Jesus reiterates the same thing. A few verses down. In case this wording didn't make sense to you, let me try another time. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and do what? Manifest myself to him. I've said it a hundred times probably by now. Obeying God is a prerequisite to seeing the power of God. It makes total sense why the woke church lacks the power of God, because obedience to God is not pursued, but rather ignored in the name of inclusion. In case you're still not getting it, Jesus actually explains it a third time. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, 
and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If you want the power of God to manifest in your life, just like it did through Jesus, obedience to God's word is required. You see, the woke church settled for grace without obedience. And when we choose to tolerate sin in the name of grace, we dismiss the power of God. Because the truth is, the power of God cannot exist alongside disobedience. After working hard to get this across to us, Jesus reveals that living a life of obedience is going to cause the world to hate us. But wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to get the world to like us so they would come to our church services. Well, according to Jesus, if the world loves you, it's because you belong to it. But if you belong to Jesus, you'll obey his commandments. And as you walk in obedience, not only will the world hate you, but the woke church is going to hate you too. (laughs) All right. (laughs) This isn't very encouraging, but Jesus reveals these things for a reason so that you won't abandon your faith when things get tough. Persecution isn't fun. It's not fun. It makes you think you're doing something wrong. I must be doing something wrong. The world doesn't like me anymore. Right? But you're not. It's actually an indicator that you're doing something right. When persecution comes because of your obedience to God, be encouraged. You're on the right track. Keep going. Dig in. And you can come talk to me, and I'll encourage you too. All right? But you're always going to struggle with obedience if obedience is coming from the wrong place. And we've talked about this several times, but I want to go over this one more time just to make sure that we get it. We got to understand, because the last thing I want you to do is to take these messages that I've been preaching and go make some kind of religious exercise out of them. I don't want that to happen at all. You see, by default, obedience is a performance. And we learn it at a young age to avoid negative consequences we perform for our parents, even though it's not something that we want to do. We carry this into our relationship with God. We perform for him by doing our best to live like he wants us to. We think God's impressed when we get it right. We think that he yells at us when we get it wrong, but it turns out God does not want us to perform. He's not impressed by our performance. When it came time to write the book, Jesus Ain't Woke, I set aside a few days in my schedule to go to a secluded cabin and focus. And I envisioned getting to the cabin and writing nonstop until the book was done. Maybe like write the whole thing in one day. Like I was kind of like, this is going to be awesome. But I started the day like normal and I got quiet before the Lord. And after reading his word and praying, I said, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. Are you ready to write this book? And he said, no. Okay. I knew that I needed to spend more time being quiet and listening to the instruction from the Holy Spirit, what what he wants me to do. Only he wasn't giving me instruction other than to be quiet. So I sat on the back deck for a while and I watched the trees blow in the wind. It's really odd for me. I don't do things like that very often. Then I laid on the back deck for a while and closed my eyes. And while my eyes were closed and I was resting, I was doing my best to eliminate the thoughts of guilt for not producing anything, for laying on the deck while my wife is at home caring for our four young kids, which is quite the task. And about an hour passed, and I asked again, all right, you ready (laughs) to write this book? Nope. Still not ready. All right. So I walked down to the lake. I sat on the shore, and I was watching the waves. I could sense the Holy Spirit nudging me to get into the water, right? But I didn't want to. I don't like the lake, y'all. The lake's gross. It's just nasty. You can't even see the bottom of the lake. I mean, what's even in there? Then I remember my goal in life is absolute obedience to what God asked me to do. I'm going to do everything that he asked me to do. So I found a clean rock, and I put it on the slimy rock in the water, and I sat in the water. 
And I, as the waves were rolling over the top of my thighs, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, wave after wave of blessing is coming into your life. And as I sat there, the waves started out small, and then they began to get bigger. And then the Holy Spirit said, look up. And so I looked up, and I noticed these beautiful, wispy clouds in the sky. And as I kept looking, I realized that they were in the shape of three different angels. And I understand that we can see things like in the clouds, right, in shapes, but these were the only three clouds in the sky, and they all looked like angels. And then the scripture came to mind in Psalm 91, where it says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you safe. And after these two experiences, I was just overcome with the goodness of God. I was just like, wow. I sat there in awe of who he is, and I was amazed that he chose me to write this book. I'm like, me of all people, God, you're choosing me? Okay, I'll do it. And then he promised to protect me from the opposition that will come because of it, which I've already seen plenty of, mostly on Instagram. And then I heard, now you're ready. You came here to perform. I wasn't looking for a performance. I'm looking for obedience that comes as a result of knowing who you are to me. And for the first time in my life, I realized that obedience to God comes one of two ways. Either you're performing or it's an overflow of who, knowing who you are in Christ. We aren't capable of a flawless performance. Anybody pulled that off? No. But obedience comes easy when we know who we are to God. And the only way to find out who you are to God is to know his word. And here's a few examples. In Romans 3.22, it says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I am right with God. I'm right with God. He doesn't hold anything against me. <laughs> I'm right with God. That's, that's who you are. You're right with God. That's awesome. Another one, Romans 5.2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. We ain't waiting for heaven for this. We now stand in undeserved privilege, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. You see, I could go on and on sharing how valuable you are to God. You are so valuable to Him. But you got to dig into it yourself. The revelation comes when you get into the Word yourself and you find out who you are in Christ. And I encourage you to do it because obedience is your secret weapon. Obedience is your secret weapon. It's required for the power of God to operate in your life and for you to get to a place where you can ask anything of Jesus and he'll do it. It's awesome. Y'all, obedience is not something we do. It's just who we are. Yeah? When we embrace and live out this truth, the power of God is made manifest in our lives. And we won't just do the same works as Jesus. We're going to do greater works than Jesus. Who's ready for greater works? Who's ready to get to a place where you can ask Jesus of anything and he'll do it? Me too. Then let's all embrace obedience to God. Even if I'm persecuted, I'll remain obedient. Even if people say mean things about me on Facebook, I'll remain obedient. I will. We've talked a lot about eliminating sin from our lives the past couple of weeks, and that's definitely part of being obedient to God. But I don't want you to get the idea that obedience ends there. Yes, get the sin out of your life. Sin is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Pull the trigger and kill that sucker because you got the power to do it. But obedience is more than just staying away from the things that God asks you not to do. Obedience is also being faithful to do the things that God asks you to do. It takes both. And to be honest, the American church isn't real good at doing what God asks us to do. 
I mean, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciple of the nations. And what do we do? We go into our churches and invite the world to come to us. This feels kind of like obedience. But is it really obedience when we morph God's assignment into something that's more comfortable for us? No, not really. We believe the lie that the only place to do ministry is in the church. When someone feels called to ministry, they automatically think, oh, it's to pastor or to lead worship or, you know, something like that. But our assignment is to go into all the world, which means that more ministry is going to be taking place outside of the church than in the church. This rocks our little church world. So we, we got we to unpack this. I like how Bill Johnson says it. He says, every believer is in full-time ministry. Only a few have pulpits and sanctuaries. The rest have their pulpit in the areas of expertise and favor in the world system. And then he also says, there is no such thing as secular employment for the believer. Once we're born again, everything about us is redeemed for kingdom purposes. It's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. Whoa. That throws a little wrench in the church system. All this time we've been elevating church leaders as the only ones doing ministry. And because of it, the world is lost in darkness because we're no longer in the world. We're in our church. And here's how Lance Wall now explains it. He says, the sober truth is that everywhere the church fails to exercise her authority, a vacuum opens for darkness to occupy. The darkness we see in culture right now is the church's fault. We've been camping out in the church when we should have been going out into all the world. We knew something was wrong, so we came up with our own solution. Instead of going into the world, we're going to invite the world to come to us. But in order for this to work, we have to become more like the world so they feel more comfortable in our church services. Never mind the fact that Jesus told us to be in the world, but not of the world. Instead, we've decided to stay out of the world and become more like the world, so the world might come pay us a visit. (laughs) Y'all, I've been to some really good church conferences and was able to take some really great things away from them, but there was always one thing that just didn't sit with me. Like, it sounded good, but it didn't fit. You know what I mean? They would explain how Sunday services should be designed to reach the lost. So we should create something that lost people love to attend, a place where they feel comfortable. And since we're called to reach the lost, we are. This sounded really good. I mean, it sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really good. But I could never get it to fit. I couldn't get it to fit. I'm like, what? Something doesn't fit with this. And if you've been through our growth track, you've probably heard me say these things about our Sunday services, that we should have services that lost people love to attend. And every time I said that in growth track, I'd hear the Holy Spirit say, wrong, wrong. Even so, I struggled to reconcile this in my head. I was struggling. I want us to be a church that reaches the lost. I do. So it was hard to let go of this idea until God led me to this scripture, which interestingly enough, we heard in a small group this morning. Ephesians 4.12, the pastor's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. What's my assignment as your pastor? To equip who? 
God's people. To do what? God's work. The purpose of our Sunday service is not to reach the loss. It's to equip you to reach the lost. See the difference? If our Sunday services were designed to reach the lost, there would only be one person reaching the lost. Me. But if I obey God by equipping God's people to reach the lost, all of a sudden, there's lots of people out reaching the lost every day of the week. It's awesome. So which strategy is going to reach more people? (laughs) The one I learned in the church growth conference? Or God's strategy? Do you see what I've been up to over the last year and a half? I used to make my mess. I used to make sure my messages wouldn't, you know, make sinners feel too uncomfortable. You know, non-church people feel too uncomfortable. Well, I stopped sugarcoating a long time ago. I'm here to equip God's people. I'm here to increase your faith. I'm here to push you out of your comfort zone. I'm here to get the sin out of your life so the power of God can manifest in your life. That's why I'm here. Who's thankful I had this revelation about my assignment? (laughs) Not everybody is. I get that. But since you're still here, over a year of me pelting you with hard truth, pelt, 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 pelt. I guess you've at least learned to tolerate my assignment (laughs) at this point. My assignment really is to be your alarm clock and... Nobody likes their alarm clock. Nobody. But it's time to wake up. And I'm here to wake you up so you can fulfill your assignment to get this place ready for Jesus to come back. Right? (laughs) Snooze. How many of y'all have been snoozing me all this time? Well, I'm going to keep on coming back every nine minutes. (laughs) So let me recap what went wrong in the church so we know how to adjust moving forward. The church lacks cultural influence because we've been trying to change the world from within the church rather than releasing the church into the world. The goal is not to convince the world to come to our church services. The goal is to be a church who equips God's people to go into all the world. So let's look at this in equation format for all the math nerds. Any any math nerds in the room? Anybody love math? Nobody? A few of you. All right. Well, this is for you. The church plus the gospel minus culture is religion. The church minus the gospel plus culture is woke. But the church plus gospel plus culture is God's kingdom here on the earth. You bring them all together. You know, in 1974, God gave two church leaders the same revelation at the same time. They were praying about how to turn the world around for Jesus. And God revealed seven things for them to focus on. Church, family, education, government, business, arts and entertainment, and media. This is now called the seven mountains of influence, and we've talked about this before. What this means is that each of these seven things has tremendous influence in our culture. They shape how people think, and they shape what people do. In other words, those who are in leadership of these seven mountains will determine the culture of a nation. So when Jesus tells us to disciple the nations, what does he mean? To serve in places of leadership in all seven mountains, all of them. The problem is the church has vacated six of the seven mountains and left the world in charge. And honestly, most churches have even vacated the church mountain and left the world in charge of what the church is doing. 
Now we're at a place where we have to take back territory that we've given away to Satan so we can make disciples of the nations and get everything ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And this seems overwhelming, but here's the truth. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome the world. You've already overcome it because he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. This isn't a challenge. This is easy. The world's already been overcome. Satan ain't got nothing on us. The only reason he's been able to accomplish what he's already done is because we've been hiding out in the church instead of being out in the world. As soon as we decide to go into the world, we experience victory. As soon as we decide to go into the world, we experience victory. We find favor with God and we find favor with man. God pours out so much blessing, we can't contain it. All we got to do is be obedient and God will equip us for every good work. It's time to invade those seven mountains with the kingdom of God. It's time to take the children of the devil off of those thrones, out of those places of leadership, and replace them with children of God. The children of God need to be in those places of influence and leadership. They belong there. So how do we do this? It truly does all start with prayer. Because our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are powers of darkness and spiritual wickedness. So this battle has to start in the spiritual realm. We need to be diligent to pray about these things. We need to pray against the enemy's influence in these areas, and we need to pray for favor for those who are stepping into those places of influence. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit for specific things to pray for. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in your prayers. Ask him, what, what, what one of those seven things do you need to pray for? What should be your focus? And most of all, pray in your heavenly prayer language, right? Pray in tongues all the time. Be like Paul. I'm glad that I pray in tongues more than the rest of you, Right? Because none of us are fully aware of what goes on in the darkness. And when we pray in tongues, we speak forth those mysteries, those things we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit can sure pray through us. But he needs us to open our mouth. That's why he does it. God has to work through people. We don't even got to understand what we're saying and he can work through us. But you still got to open your mouth and pray. You got to pray. And then after we've prayed, we must invite God to use us in the sphere of influence that he's called us to. Whether it be the church or family or education, government, business, arts, entertainment, or media. Several of you already know what God's asking you to do. Like Amy Cook, right? She's currently serving in the education mountain, and she'll soon be serving in the government mountain. Anthony, you're serving in the business mountain. Carrie is going to be soon be serving in the government mountain as well. In my prayer today, and I was asking God this morning, God, I want every person in the room to leave knowing which of these seven things they're called to. I want you to know. I want God to reveal that to you today. And it's not that you have to do something right now. It's not like he's saying, okay, you're called to the government. All right, I better go run for office. No. He might tell you to do that, and that's fine. But he might just tell you to start praying for that. That's where it needs to start. So who's ready to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of the nations? It's up to all of us. We all got to go. And this is where we're headed as a church. Y'all, we're no longer on the cruise ship of Christianity. We've done got off the boat and we're going into all the world. We ain't getting back on the boat. The boat sunk, y'all. It's gone. You can't get back on. I know some days we want to, right? There's days that I would love to get back on the cruise ship of Christianity. Honestly, I wouldn't go back. So much purpose in this season of our lives. So much that God 
is doing through us. Like he's, he's ready. Can you all sense God is ready to send Jesus back? You know that God's the only one that gets to decide that? Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. It's funny because I've heard a minister say the reason God doesn't tell Jesus when the time is is because Jesus would tell us. He'd be like, hey, y'all, Thursday, 8 o'clock. <laughs> and he would because he loves us that much. So I want to take a moment right now. Let's invite the Holy Spirit in to reveal to each of us what our assignment is. Go and dim those lights down for me. We need to focus. Let's just go ahead and get quiet. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We acknowledge you. We welcome you. Would you show us what our assignment is? Which of these seven mountains of influence that we're called to? Make it clear to us. Make it clear to every person in this room. When the Holy Spirit reveals something to you, I want you to just go ahead and pull out your phone and write it down because I don't want you to forget it. I think sometimes we think if the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, we'll never forget it, but you know, sometimes we do. You got to write it down. Nobody in the body of Christ is left out of this. Every person in this room has an assignment. Every person. And not one is more important than the other. I understand that we're not all going to be in, like, run for office or be in leadership or something like that. But don't discount if God says you're the one to pray for these leaders. That is an important assignment. Don't discount if you're the one who's supposed to serve these leaders. That is an important assignment. We're all in this together. No one person can do this by themselves. You know, I was telling Mason this this last week. He's part of my staff and he helps. Uh, he was helping package books. Jesus St. Woke books this past week. And I was like, Mason, did you know that you're just as much a part of this as I am? I know I authored the book, but I can't do this by myself. Whenever you get to heaven, you're going to get a reward for being a part of this. For being a part of helping, packaging those books, making sure they get to the people who need them. And that goes for everybody in this room. It doesn't matter what the assignment is. I hate that the world has discounted these places of servant, like where you're, where you're serving. That's what we're supposed to do anyway. Even the leaders are supposed to be serving. We go into these places of leadership with a servant attitude. We're here to serve the people. We're all here to serve. If you're not comfortable with serving, you might be a little uncomfortable in heaven because we're going to be serving in heaven too. We'll be serving each other. We'll be helping each other. It's going to be awesome. Serving is a beautiful thing. I think I said that because there's probably some people in the room where the Holy Spirit revealed something to you and you're like, oh, that can't be it. That seems too small. No, that was it. He showed you what you're supposed to do. 
And then some of you in the room, he revealed something to you and he's like, oh, I'm not qualified for that. Yeah, you are. Those who God calls, he firmly equips, right? You got everything you need to do what he asks you to do. I can't tell you how many times God's asked me to do something that I didn't feel qualified for, but amazing things happen when you just step out and do it anyway. I want to share a dream that I had this past week that'll encourage you guys. I had a dream that Beth and I were back in high school. That's not very encouraging, but it gets better. They were doing water baptisms and vaccines at high school, in high school, because you had to be vaccinated in order to get water baptized. Funny start to the dream, right? All those who needed the vaccine were in their own row, including Beth and I. <laughs> we were in that row. <laughs> and the teacher came in and she started slandering those who chose to remain unvaccinated because she didn't think that they were in the room because this row of people that hadn't yet got their vaccine, that she just thought that they were going to go ahead and get it. So she's like, I can't believe all these people who won't get their vaccine. Blah, 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 blah. And then I raised my hand. I said, I'm one of those people. And the teacher went mad. She went mad. And I pushed against every lie she was believing loudly for the class, the whole class to hear. And I explained to her how hey, already been through the virus. I have natural immunity and the immunity I have is way better than the vaccine could ever give me. She didn't like that. And just like a lot of people don't like that today. But then the Holy Spirit came over me in the dream and I stood up and I boldly preached the gospel to the entire classroom and they all got saved. And then I went, went around the entire classroom and I put my hands on their head and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. And I can remember I came up to this one guy and I remember the, 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 his face. He was just like looking at me like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I put my hand on him and out he goes. It was awesome. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's funny because Mason, you were in my dream too. When I got back to my seat, Mason, you were like, I want to do that too. <laughs> it's, it's funny. But then I woke up and I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's coming. The Spirit of God will come upon all who are willing. All who are willing, just like this, just like in your dream. And everybody present is going to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether it's in a classroom, in a grocery store, wherever you are, all who are willing to let the Spirit of God come upon them are going to accomplish these amazing things. That could be you at work. How cool would it be to stand up because the Spirit of God comes over you? Not because you want to, but because the Spirit of God is ready and you boldly proclaim the gospel to everybody who's present. They all get saved and they all get filled with the Holy Spirit right then. They don't even have to come to church to do that. Man, that's awesome. Lord, we welcome. However you want to do this, we know that this revival, this awakening is going to look different than the other ones we've experienced in the past, but we're not putting you in a box. We're saying, do, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do, Lord. We choose to be obedient to what you've asked us to do. God, I'm so excited. I'm so honored. I'm so humbled for the assignments that you have on this church every person in this church. I, I'm so excited. And Lord, I ask you today just to activate every person in this room. 
Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them up all the way to the top. Overflow them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. Fill them with hope. Hallelujah. Somebody in the room needs to surrender, and I don't know what you need to surrender, but just lift your hands in the air. That's all you have to do. Lift your hands in the air and surrender. Yes. Don't let this moment pass you by. If that's you, if if there's something you need to surrender in your life, just lift up your hands and surrender that right now. Off it goes. Never to return. Amen. Darla, go ahead and come up and share your testimony. Okay. I make him come up too because it's his testimony as well. So I really don't know how to start. Um, we went out to uh, dinner Monday night with Mark and Gina because Gina's helping Ethan look for a house. And so we had gone and looked at some houses and we were at dinner um, talking about them and uh, just having a good time. And uh, so I'm on this side of Tim in the booth and he, he elbows me. And I look over and he does this and then does this. And I had, I had no thought about anything except for, you know, I mean, it just, we just acted. He got out of the, he was choking on his steak. Okay. If you don't know what this means, <laughs> I'm sorry. Tim was choking on his, on his steak and couldn't tell me that he needed help. That's the universal signal for I'm choking. So he got out of the booth. I got out of the booth. And the only thing I said was, I don't know if I'm tall enough, babe. (laughs) So he bent over like this, and I just reached around and did the Heimlich maneuver. I think I did it maybe two or three times, and up comes the steak. And then we sat back down and went right back to dinner. (laughs) And Mark and Gina were just like, what was that? (laughs) What just happened? There was, there was... It didn't occur to me until later, hours later, once the adrenaline wore off, that that could have gone a totally different way if there had been any panic, any fear, anything like that. And he was calm. I was calm. (laughs) Because we were calm, Ethan was calm. He's like, I wasn't worried. You guys weren't worried. I wasn't worried. (laughs) So he he just sat there eating his dinner. But I, I want to en- encourage you. We had that peace. Okay, there was peace in that moment the entire time. And if we hadn't have been spending time in the Word or getting to know who God was or getting to know who we are to God and all of that, you can't get that kind of stuff in a moment. It has to be built up. Um, and so I just, I really feel like 
God took over. It never occurred to me, go do the Heimlich maneuver on your husband. I just did it. And I, I think it was just because we were in a, in a place and, and he, he used me to save the life of my husband. <laughs> and I, now she wants shoes. Yeah. <laughs> we get to go on a date now. And <laughs> I have this hero status, you know. <laughs> he texted me the other day. He's like, you know, I really miss you today. I said, it must have been that near-death experience. <laughs> you want to share anything? Well, actually, I was, a, I was kind of encouraged that I was attacked, to be honest. It means that I'm a threat, right? Seriously? Uh, so if you guys are uh, needing another reason to make sure that your uh, personal prayer time is in order, that this is another call to do that. That's awesome. Man, that's good. <laughs> that reminds me of how whenever we step out into our assignment, the thing that God has called us to do, we have this um, idea that it's all going to go great. If I'm in the will of God, everything will go perfectly. Nope. When you're in the will of God, the enemy is like, oh, hey, what you doing? Let me show you a few things. And then you have to learn your authority. And then once you learn your authority... <laughs> The enemy can't even do anything to you anymore. It's great. <laughs> but man, it's painful learning how to walk in your authority. Brooke, you know anything about that? Yeah. But you have to walk through it. So I kind of say this to y'all as a warning. Because some of y'all are going to be stepping into your God-given assignment for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. And things are going to go wrong and you're going to be like, oh, I must have missed it. No, you're spot on. You found it. <laughs> you found it, so press through. And what you do is you find out, what is my authority in Christ? And there's great books out there for that. Andrew Womack has one. Kenneth Hagin has one. We got to know our authority or the enemy walks all over us. Because the reality is he doesn't have any authority over us. He doesn't have any right to do anything in our lives. He only has the right what we give him. That's it. So build yourself up. So you don't give him that right. I wanted to add a little bit to that. Later when I was thinking about it, um, okay, and I was telling uh, Darla out in the hall, I was contemplating, it kind of kept coming up throughout the week because it just, it was really weird. We just sat back down and started laughing again. We were like, did that just really happen? Because it just was so calm and everything. And he sat back down. Tim just started cutting his steak again like nothing ever happened. <laughs> We're all like going, okay, we need a minute here. <clears throat> but God really was showing me about their relationship. And he likened it to our relationship with Christ. They're, in, they're a couple. They walk as one. I know them. I know their relationship. I know they pray together. I know they stand on the word of God and believe together. And it all unfolded in a second, 10 seconds. It wasn't very long. They have built that foundation and they knew exactly what to do in peace without fear. I'm not saying the adrenaline wasn't running and stuff didn't come across their mind, but it was... It was really like just a weird thing how it unfolded. We can't even explain it. You had to have been there. But it's their relationship is a proof of what your relationship, when you're in tune with who God is to you, you're talking to Him, you're praying, you're believing, you're standing. 
that's what it is. You walk through those things and you don't have that fear. You don't have that turmoil going on in your life. I'm not saying you're not having struggles. But I really wanted to get up here and encourage you and give you some peace today. There's a war going on in the heavenlies right now in our country, in our world. There's a fight. Satan doesn't want Jesus to come back. He doesn't want believers to be made to go with him when he comes back. So there's a war going on. And some of you don't possibly know what you're sensing or what you're feeling and you're afraid and you're having anxiety and you're, you're being uh, uh, tormented in your sleep. You're being tormented during the day. And I want to give you peace today and let you know that God's in control. You're picking up on things that are legitimately going on in the spirit realm. But I want to know, he's want you to know he's given us an assignment as believers. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, what did he say he'd do? I will heal their land. And we need a great healing in our land. There's a battle going on. And we know the outcome. If you're a believer and you know the word of God, we know the outcome. We get victory. But he said, we will have tribulation. We will have struggles and trials. But I will always be with you. So I know just from different people that have talked to me, if you've been being woken up in the night, say maybe around three o'clock, I want you to stand up. You're not alone. There's a reason. God has been waking you up for a reason. And it's not to steal your sleep. He will restore that back to you. not saying you might not feel tired occasionally, but (laughs) he'll make it okay. So I won't go into it, but in the Bible, there's a fourth watch in the Bible. And you can go look it up. Go start studying it. God's waking you up for a reason. And he's telling you to be obedient. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. When I get woke up at three o'clock, I don't really want to pray. Do you? Yeah, I'm not alone then. So if you've been being woken up, I'm just encouraging you today. God's calling you to pray. And you may not know what he's asking you to pray. So you ask him, God, I'm here. I surrender to you. Start praying in your prayer lane. If you don't have one, ask. He'll give it to you. And then start praying what God has told you to pray. I don't know if you can see everybody look around. And this doesn't make anybody special. This is just who he's called out to pray for this season. You that are sitting down, get ready. You may be next. Okay? And now you'll know what to do with it. It's not just a few of us. You can sit down if you want. So now I want to give you peace. It's not to disturb you. It's not to give you fear. It's not to rob your sleep. It's to call you to do what God has asked you to do so our land can be healed. Thank you. Amen. Y'all, America's mess is about to become God's miracle. Amen. He ain't done with this nation. 
All right, before we get out of here today, is there anybody in here needs healing? Healing in your body, healing in your mind. You want us to lay hands on you and pray for you. If that's you, go ahead and come on up here. I don't want to leave today without giving you that opportunity. All righty. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for truth. We thank you that you've equipped us and that you've called us. And Lord, we repent of trying to follow our own strategy of going into the church and trying to get the world to come to us. We repent of that, which means we turn away from it. We're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you're going to be with us. You're going to provide for us. And you're going to comfort us. And you're going to protect us. And all of your promises and all of your blessings are yes and amen. We're going to walk in them. We're going to live in them. And we thank you, Lord. I just speak protection over everybody in this room. I thank you that you put a covering over us, just like your word says. I thank you that you're a shield around us, that you are our refuge and you are our fortress. And it's in you that we trust. We don't fear. We don't fret because we know who our God is and we know that he's with us. In Jesus' name, everybody who believes that say amen. 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 God's good, huh? (laughs) God is good. Well, y'all, if you haven't already, I encourage you to embrace a lifestyle of giving. And I encourage you to start by giving as God directs us in his word. And tithing is... He says to tithe, give the first 10% of your, that's a fancy word, right? But it just means give the first 10% of your income back to God through your church. But don't let it stop there. A lot of times we, we stop there. Look for opportunities to be generous every day of your life. There's so many people who are touched by a simple act of generosity, and there's, it's so fun. Being generous is the funnest life you'll ever live. It's way more fun than holding everything to yourself, I'll tell you that, because that's how God designed it. So if you're ready to give today and you're given by cash or check, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. Um, if you're giving online, you can do that anytime, and you just visit nolimits.fyi. There's a giving button there, and it'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us, and a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.